I mentioned it earlier as we kick off this series, it's called Absolute Hope for the Holidays, all right? Now that just flowed a little bit better. We're not taking the Christ out of Christmas, just to let you know. That's not our goal. Uh, the holidays to us encompasses everything we've just been through with Thanksgiving all the way to New Year, and that's why we do this series all the way, kind of kicking us off into the new year. Um, but it's part, in part, our, our mission as a church, if you see that coming in, is that we exist to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. And this season of Advent, this season of Christmas, is all about hope. Matter of fact, Advent, you're not going to find this in Scripture anywhere. Uh, just to let you know, the, the whole Advent tradition is not in Scripture, uh, even though it has you know, been tr- practiced for many, many years in very different forms and ways. Uh, it all means the same thing. It talks about this coming and this anticipation, right? It's this coming and this anticipation. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I love the fact that I was born in this age and this time. Uh, we live in one of the greatest times in history, I believe, uh, especially when it comes to the fact that we barely have to wait for anything. You guys with me? We barely have to wait for anything. Um, and that's one of the greatest things about living during this time. Well, the worst thing about living during this age in history is that we don't have to wait for anything, Right? It's the worst thing about living in this, this time, is that we, are the, that we are the most impatient people on the face of the planet, right? Because we don't have to wait. We're so used to this immediate sort of action and gratification that we don't understand waiting, right? We don't understand what waiting uh, means. And I mean, for most of us, I'll just kind of share how old I am. Um, I remember as a kid um, turning this dial, it was huge, like big hand dial, I used to have to turn this dial that would move so slow, okay? It would move so slow. And what it was doing is it was sending an electric signal to an antenna outside of our house, right? And it would just slowly move the antenna. You guys remember that sound? And that was just so that you could guess at finding the best transmission place or best place to, to tune in your television, all right? And you just waited, and then if it didn't work, you had to turn it again. Listen, I'm just telling you, my kids would lose their mind, all right? They, they freak out when the Wi-Fi lags, and, the, and, and if something has to buffer, ah, you know. I mean, that's, that's just the reality of where we live. But I remember those times, and, 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 and really, time it does have to do with your perspective. When I was a kid, all right, Christmas felt like forever to get here. Everybody with me? When I was a kid, it, it felt like it took forever. Right about the time people started talking about Christmas, it felt like it was a century before Christmas showed up. And now that I'm in my 40s, man, Christmas can come on me so fast. Like, it's here and gone sometimes before I can blink. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just, it's so crazy. So I can honestly say as an adult, I know that Advent, just talking about Advent and really kind of diving back into what does Advent mean... It's hard to kind of put ourselves into this place of knowing what it means to wait, to have this anticipation, to think about the idea of hope in light of absolute hope that, that, that Advent really represents. Now, again, I'll repeat this just for those who, I mean, you guys have heard me say this before, but when we say the word absolute hope, we are not using that the same way that people usually the word, use the word hope, right? We say, well, I hope that works out. I hope this does it. I hope that does. That's really based on optimism or wishful thinking. That is not what absolute hope is, right? Optimism is the idea that, that if things could align in such a way that the optimal outcome possible is, and we hope for that. 
Wishful thinking is the idea that things are all bad and somehow automatically they're going to get better, right? They're just going to, something's going to happen. And I did make up that word, by the way. It's automatically. It automatically gets better and, and it'll go from bad to, 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 to better, right? Like it's like, that's, that's wishful thinking. And sometimes that's how we use the word hope. But that is not how the Bible uses the word hope and how we use absolute hope. There are several words in scripture, and I sent this out uh, on social media this week. We sent this out to you to kind of look through. Hopefully you, you saw that, but I'll repeat it. Um, there's a couple of Hebrew words you'll find in the Old Testament used for this kind of biblical hope uh, that we're talking about. Uh, Yakal is this waiting. This is kind of, again, going back to that like waiting, anticipation uh, that, that people would use in scripture in terms of waiting on God, uh, to have a hope in God, the hope in the Lord. Kava is another one that is about tension and expectation. This shows up in the Psalms uh, in terms of hope. Kava is rooted in a word that talks about like string. You guys know when you pull string apart and there's that tension that's there until it releases or until it kind of gets a break. That's what the Kava is kind of talking about is this, this release of tension um, that's there, but it's this word for hope. In the New Testament in Greek, uh, it's elpis. This is this word uh, that really, again, talks about this anticipation. So when Paul talks about the elpis, the, the living hope, it's this, and it's this active anticipation of what's going to happen, right? Sometimes you, the word we use would be confident hope. We use the word absolute hope, right? That's what, that's what all of these words are really talking about. And so when we talk about this, we're going to talk today specifically about the hope promised to God's people, the hope promised to us. And this is what I find fascinating. This is what brings us together, along with all the saints, along with every generation, along with every, uh, you know, diversity, color, red and yellow, black and white, you know what I'm talking about? Like this, this is what brings the body of Christ together around the globe, across every age, and for all generations, is that we all live in a sense of living hope. Those who follow God live together in a shared sense of this, of this, of this kind of absolute hope. It's what unifies us. It's, a, it's beautiful, right? The same hope that, that they had from Genesis 3 to the hope that you see in the church and to the hope that we have now for the second coming of Christ is the same living hope. Hope. We sure God's revealed Himself differently throughout the ages, and maybe we know Him a little differently based on how He's revealed Himself. But it doesn't change the fact that we're all waiting for something for God to do something. We're all waiting for fulfillment of a promised hope. That this if you this past week was the first week of Advent, and it was Hope Week. I'm going to read you a couple of the scriptures that uh, went along with this past week's. Uh, reading, if you would have been following along on an Advent calendar, this is from Isaiah. Isaiah 7 says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, again, we're not going to go too deep into the context or the, the, the culture here in terms of history. However, Isaiah is pretty important. Isaiah comes at a time where the, the kingdom is already divided. All right, the kingdom, the God's people is already divided. The kingdoms are already divided. And they have experienced, through judges and, and kings, like they have experienced uh, great moments of strength and prosperity as a nation under God. 
And they've also experienced some horrible oppression and struggle and rebellion as a nation, right? Like they've had some amazing years and they had years where they they didn't want to do it God's way anymore and they didn't listen to God and they didn't pay attention to him. We don't know what that's like around here, do we? We don't have any idea what that's like. But yeah, we, 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 they've seen both. They've seen the glory of, of, of King David and Solomon's temple, and they've seen the same temple overcome. They've seen, they've seen things crushed. They've seen oppression. This comes when Isaiah, as the prophet, comes and talks about more judgment that's going to come. But he also shares an incredible amount of hope, an incredible amount of what's coming. Hope promised to God's people. Again, the words that they would have heard that God, there's going to come a time in which God is going to be with us was was hope promised to them. Again, we'll look again a little bit later on in Isaiah 9. It says, the people who walk in darkness, they will see a great light. For those who live in the land of the deep darkness, a light will shine. You uh, You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. I, use these, I love these examples he gives. We're going to rejoice like that. Keep going. You will break the yoke, for you will break the yoke of the slavery, of their slavery, and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warriors and uniforms bloodstained by war. They'll all be burned up. There'll be fuel for the fire. And it says, why? Because a child's going to be born to us. A son is given to us. And the government is going to rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Isn't that beautiful? Now, to you to understand, to the people that this was being written to, like... This was hope. This was hope of God intervening and coming and acting on their behalf and doing the things like, and I love the examples that Isaiah gives, you know, they're going to rejoice like they already rejoice. They rejoice when the harvest comes. They rejoice when the plunder is, you know, after the, they conquer the enemy. Like there's, there's a heart that, that gives them connection to rejoicing. They know that God's going to intervene the way he did with the Midians. He's going to, 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 to wipe off the slavery and to take away the oppression. And it's all going to come in this child. It's going to come in this hope. It's going to come in this future idea. But I love the fact that Isaiah gives these past examples because I really look at absolute hope. Absolute hope, to me, is rooted in God's faithfulness to his people. When you see the prophets and when you see people, even the New Testament authors, they will always talk about the hope that we have in Christ based on who he is and what he has done for God's people, that it's always rooted in God's not just current faithfulness to his people, but past faithfulness to his people, which again, for the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, I was like, Jewish people, it's a big deal in terms of constantly looking back and being a part of seeing those things. It's also one of the reasons that uh, there's been an attack on every possible way to discount the word of God not just in our culture, but in every culture since this book was first kind of put together, this, this collection of books and poems and, and, and manuscripts and letters. Like, but, but by the time this was, even before this was done, you know, 
the enemy knew the best way to kind of mess with God's people was to find some way to discount or discredit the word of God, what we were given from God. And so even today, the idea is that they, they really do think that we're stupid enough to think that this is just a book and, you know, written by a bunch of people. And because most of us don't read it and most of us don't know enough about it, um, you know, they kind of feel like, well, if I can just discount one thing, like a house of cards, if I can just discount one thing, boom, the whole house comes tumbling down. And, and, and you have to know from, a, from a, a, a follower of Jesus that that doesn't have anything to do with us. Like there's no way that can happen. As a matter of fact, in every way they've tried, they've usually failed. In every way they've tried, right? Isaiah was one of those, listen, Isaiah was one of those books that, that they used to really, really zero, zero in. We're talking about intellectuals. They used to really narrow, zero in on them. Why? Because so much of Isaiah's prophecy is so detailed that, that most intellectuals realize that, look, there's no way this could have been written before Christ, especially 800 years before Christ. There's no way. It had to have been written by Johnny Yuhu and whatever, you know, after Jesus, and he's trying to figure out a way to make all this work, to make the religion work. Like, they were, they're convinced like that that had to have happened. And then in 1947, something really incredible happened, 1947 and 1948. Dan's already nodding his head. He knows. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And listen, to even well, scientists are so stupid, they don't even know what they do, Right? Like, they went and immediately started to age the documents. They did everything they could to age. Oh, we have this great archaeology discovery, and whoa, look at this. We're going to age these documents. And they put their ages, you know, in that, like, thousand-year, you know, period in terms of the paper and the way it was done, and that it was all before Christ. And one of the seven scrolls in the Dead Sea Scrolls is the entire 66 books of Isaiah. And it said exactly what we've always believed it said. Isn't that amazing? And so we have to know that, you listen, that, that's why, that is why our absolute hope is rooted in, the, in what we read and what we believe about God's faithfulness to his people and cannot be undermined by the intellectuals of our day. Another one that's big because it's all filled with dreams and a whole bunch of stuff that we don't really understand very well. That's why uh, Dan here is doing a class on it for end time study. But Daniel, Daniel's another one that they like to try to poke holes at. There's no way, right? There's no way Daniel's dreams and these kind of things could mean what they mean. And one specific where Daniel was really clear about the timing of how things were going to play out. I'm not going to read the whole dream because it's already recapped by Daniel, but I'm just going to start where Daniel recaps the dream. He says, in your vision, this is to King Nebuchadnezzar, says, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shiny statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its bellies and thighs were bronze and its legs were iron. And its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. This is as you watched a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. And then the whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron and clay and bronze and silver and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on the threshing floor. But the rock, the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And that was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. 
So he goes on to tell Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He says, uh, he's made you the ruler of all the inhabited world, and he's put uh, even the wild animals and birds under your control. You're the head of gold. The glory that you see in that head, the head of gold, is your kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom. He says, however, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom that's inferior to yours will rise up to take your place. And after that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom, represented by bronze, will, rot, will rule the world. And then it says, and following that kingdom, there's going to be a fourth one, as strong as iron. The kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron baked clay, showing that this kingdom is going to be divided, but like iron mixed with clay, will have some of the strength of iron. He says, while some of it is strong as iron, but other parts will be as weak as clay. He says, the mixture of iron and clay also show that the kings are going to, they're going to try to strengthen themselves, right? They're going to try to strengthen themselves. Uh, how? By forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. But they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all of these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That's the meaning of the rock. Cut from the mountain, not by human hands, that crush the pieces of the statue, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God was showing you, king, what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain, period. This, again, you can look at what scholars agree and disagree about, but the reality is, is that Daniel's painting such a clear picture of them of a timeline of what, what, what the, the kingdoms look like that are coming after Babylon, which was going to be the, the, the Medes and Persians. It's going to be Alexander the Great for three, three, 300 years. Then it's going to be the, the iron, which was Rome, right? And all Rome tried to do in terms of trying to strengthen itself with alliances and intermarriages. Like, it's so clear. <laughs> and then to have this rock, not cut by human hands, smash it to bits and have a kingdom that stands forever. Again, guys, this is why people just look at it and go, oh, there's no way they could know that before Jesus. There's no way they could know that before him. And yet this is the hope promised to God's people. Even when he, God gave them like a timeline, even when they understood, I mean, he did this several times about how things were going to look and what, you know, through all the minor prophets, you know, he, he'd talk about what was coming and when it was coming and how it was going to come. And you can read this over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you two just from the minor prophets, just as you can see as it gets closer uh, to, the, to the birth of Christ. This is, again, this is uh, Micah. It's closer to the 700s B.C., it says, you, Bethlehem, uh, Ephathra, you are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are from the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. It's going to come from your people. It says, the people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile into their own land. He will stand and lead his flock in the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord will be his, his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed and he will be highly honored around the world. 
and he will be their source of peace. Because you have to understand, during these, these times of, uh, all the times of oppression, all they wanted was peace. And that peace was what they knew was promised from God. Here's Zechariah, which is closer to the end, Zechariah and um, Malachi. He says to them that this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. There's a man who's called the branch. He's talking about the branch from, from Jesse and the branch from Israel. He will branch out from where he, uh, from, uh, from where he is and build the temple of the Lord. And it says, yes, he's going to build the temple of the Lord. Then he will receive royal honor and will rule as king from his throne. He will also serve as priest from his throne. And there will be perfect harmony between the two roles. Because one of the other things that the, the Jewish people constantly suffered from the heyday, if you will, of, of King David and Solomon, what they constantly dealt with was just the, just the, the disconnect between their faith, their religion, and those that ruled in power. And he says, look, there's coming, like, like there's, a, there's a tension there, right? There's a tension when, I know we can't understand that at all. There's a tension there, right, where, where faith is one thing, but power and authority is another, and they don't seem to have anything that, 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 uh, that joined them together. And he says, look, there's coming a hope, there's coming a time when this is all going to happen through this, this one birthed by this, this son, this, this child, this one birth. It's going to come, and it's going to come in such a way that's going to bring unity and harmony to not only authority, but to our faith. What a beautiful hope. What a beautiful promise. The problem for most of us, again, especially when you're studying the, 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 the Word of God, is that when you get to, uh, you know, Malachi, Malachi, right? When you get there... When you get there, it depends on your Bible. And by the way, these Bibles are for you. They're, the, they're in the little lobby way there. If you don't have a copy of your own uh, Word of God, then this is for you. It's our gift to you. Uh, please take one. But right here, you know, this one goes from uh, Malachi 4, and then it just is done. And then it says the New Testament, and there's a couple maps. Cool. And then we start with Matthew, right? That's nothing. But to the people of God, there's 400 years, okay, 400 years where there's no more prophets, there's no more direct line in terms of hearing a word from God or even a warning from God or even a judgment from God. Everything that they were used to up to that point ended. And they had 400 years of waiting. 400 years of waiting, 400 years of waiting for this hope that had been promised and promised and promised and promised and promised. How do you think you'd do with 400 years? Right? Let's just, let's just pause for a minute and just be honest about ourselves. Okay? Listen, we, we barely, and I'm talking about we, when I say we, I mean me, right? We barely, we barely remember what God did for us last week. We barely remember what he did for us Last year, you start going into the decades, like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, my mind starts to go blank. Like we barely remember anything about that time. 
400 years, 16, 400 years ago from now is 1622. The most significant thing that happened in 1622 was the massacre at Jamestown. You guys know what happened to the massacre at Jamestown? Nobody knows what happens to the massacre at Jamestown. All right, so that was a big deal in terms of you might have learned that a little bit in history, American history, the massacre at Jamestown outside West Virginia, but there was lots of few things that happened. How about Pocahontas? Pocahontas died close to 400 years ago, a little more than 400 years ago. Did you know that she was a real person, not just a Disney character? Did you know that? Does anybody know what Pocahontas said that wasn't in the movie? Because it wasn't Colors of the Wind, I can promise you that. Right? No, but nobody's going to remember. We barely remember that she was real, that she was a real person. We barely remember that. 400 years. And we struggle, and I'm just saying this to be honest. Like We struggle when we don't feel like we hear from God in a few days or a week. We struggle when we don't feel as close to him a month from now than when we were. I mean, people have walked away from the faith because they just didn't, you know, they just didn't feel, just didn't feel the same as they did back when they started their journey. I want to look at Mary. Mary as an example of, I would say, the average Jewish person. Now, again, we can look at, you know, same thing. It's, it's not the rulers. It's not the, the highlights of people. I mean, Mary was just a young girl from a small village. But, but she would have been the product, if you will, of their, of their culture, of, their, of the Jewish kind of, the thumb on the Jewish culture at that time. And I want you to look at some of Mary's words. This is what we're going to read right now is called Mary's Song. And Mary's Song comes after the angel Gabriel tells her she's going to have a baby. And he tells her that Elizabeth, her cousin's having a baby as well. That's John the Baptist. And that she should go see her. Even though she's old in age, she's, she's having a baby. And then Mary shows up to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, you guys remember the story of the, the baby jumping inside of Elizabeth? And she immediately knows that, like, she supernaturally is given the knowledge that, that Mary is having this supernatural experience is going to give birth to her Lord and that Mary's going to be blessed. And this, this is where Luke records this for us. This is called Mary's song, Mary's response. And I just want you to see what she says. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. This is just repeating what Elizabeth had just uh, told her. I love this. It says, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. It started with her. She's like, just personal, like, God has been faithful to me. And then she goes on. She says, he shows mercy. To who? Well, from generation to generation, to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. Keep going. He has brought down princes and from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. And he sent the rich away with empty hands. He's helped his servant Israel, the whole nation. And he's remembered to be merciful to us. Why? For he made this promise. To our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his children forever. Mary's response 
is that this is just God fulfilling his promise. This is the hope promised to us that we have been waiting for. So if I had to just kind of clarify just that definition of what hope promised looks like for you and for me, it's God's word. It's God's word at work in the waiting. It's God's word that's always at work, even in those seasons of waiting. Even when promise hoped, promise, hope promised is not necessarily yet hope fulfilled. Guys, again, we are all living in a state of hope promised and not hope fulfilled. But God's word is always at work in the midst of that. Oh, sure, we haven't had 400 years of silence. We've had 2,000 years without a prophet. Hebrews told us we didn't need any more prophets. Jesus came and took care of it. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He gave us the word of God. This is all we need from now until our hope is fulfilled. But the question is, what, are you, what is your hope placed in while you're waiting? What is your hope placed in while you're waiting? Again, I've had conversations with people where, look, they're, they're struggling, they're going through, and, and this is, I understand, Christmas, you guys already know this, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the holidays, sometimes this isn't that enjoyable, right? People are going through struggles. People have lost family members, uh, and this is the first, you know, first time they're going through the holidays without them. People are struggling with mental illness. People are struggling with, with sicknesses and disease they didn't have last year. And, and they're working through a very different you know, holiday than you and I are working through, maybe. They're waiting for something. They're waiting for God to answer something. Maybe it's answer a prayer. Maybe it's to work, intervene through a circumstance. Maybe it's just to fulfill a promise they've had for a long time. They're waiting on something but the question that I have is just, well, in the waiting, where is your hope? Because again, I've had conversations with people who are struggling in their marriage and struggling in their faith and struggling with the circumstance and struggling with health and struggling with something that they're in the middle of the waiting on. And I've asked them, well, what are you reading right now? And, and, and quite honestly, most people respond to me as if I just asked them, when's the last time you did brain surgery? Because for whatever reason, and I believe it's just our fallen nature, our fallen flesh and fallen nature is where our spiritual amnesia comes from. When we can barely remember what God has done for us in the last few months, I believe comes from the enemy himself through our fallen nature, which is why we need the word of God, which is why we have to increase, our, I mean, like when we start, when we're in the waiting, we need to lean in even harder than we've ever leaned in before. Okay, you're not going to open the passage up and find the answer to your problem. You know, you're, don't do this, you know, if you've ever tried that before. That, by the way, doesn't work. God does do some pretty fun stuff with it, though, because he's got a sense of humor, right? The question is, are you just leaning into his word? Because it's, it's his word, it's his faithfulness to you and to his people that's been at work for generations. 
So I don't know what you're waiting on, but I'm telling you that God's word is what's at work in the waiting in your season right now. That's what's at work. And that's where the absolute hope comes from. Paul says it this way. Paul says it this way to the, to the Christians in Rome. He says, we can rejoice too, even when we run into problems and trials, right? Because we know that it helps us develop endurance, all right? Now, I know that's not a hope-filled verse because people are just like, yay, endurance, yay. All right. I don't want any more endurance, God. You know, I've, I've heard those prayers. I've had those prayers. But he continues on and says, well, what does that mean? Endurance develops our strength of character, and we know that character strengthens our confident hope in our salvation. This is where we get the word absolute. Because this is not, this confident hope isn't wishful thinking. This confident hope isn't optimism. This confident hope is sure fire, sure clad, solid as a rock, concrete, absolute hope. And this hope will not lead to, what's the word? Say it out loud. Yeah. This is the hope that won't lead to disappointment. We know. Why? Because we know how much God loves us. He gave us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He gave us his word, right? Like this is, this is how we know that he loves us. This is how we have this confident hope that God's work is at word is at work in the waiting, in the hope promise that we have yet to really all see fulfilled. This is the kind of hope that doesn't disappoint. Where's your hope? Right now. I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but just, 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 just hear me out. Is your hope in the, the runoff election in Georgia this week? Because I got news for you. I, I don't know. Flip a coin. I don't know how that's going to work out. But I can promise you it's going to disappoint you. That's the hope that disappoints. Is, is your hope in, I don't know, doctors? Medical solutions? Is your hope in lawyers? Maybe getting you out of trouble? Trying to sure clad a, a deal? Is your hope in, I don't know, bankers? The inflation? The, the economy? Where is it? All I know is that all of that hope is going to disappoint. Because the Word of God tells us that this hope, this absolute hope, this confident hope, even when we're going through trouble, even through our trials, this confident absolute hope is the hope that will not disappoint. And I just want you to hear that from your pastor's heart that I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what you're, what you're working through. But I want to promise you that if you will dig into God's word, God's word is at work in the waiting all the time and has been for generations upon generations upon generations. God's work, God's work is at work. And we are all going to get to experience that hope fulfilled someday. We will, someday. But in the waiting, it's his word that we lean into. And I'm going to close with the verse that we're opening with next week. Because I love, I'd love to set you all up for next week, all right? 
This is the way Paul says it to the church in Galatia. He says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. When everything was the way God wanted it, he delivered hope. When everything was exactly how he planned it to be, he brought us hope. And we'll kick that off next week. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for, again, the fact that your word is so incredibly clear that this hope promise that we all live in, God, even though we put our hope so quickly in other things, it disappoints us. So God, may it be a time of repentance today, may it be a time of reflection today as we just consider where we've placed our hope in the waiting. And may this Christmas, this Advent season, remind us of the coming anticipation, the waiting period that generation after generation that we link arm with, arms with as Christians, that we're waiting for God to continue to fulfill his promise. And yet, even for us, we get to celebrate the ways he already has fulfilled his promises as we celebrate Christmas and celebrate you. God, today I just pray that everyone is, is changed as we walk out of here, that your word and that reading your word and that allowing your word to come into our hearts will do a work even beyond what we've had this morning, beyond those doors, into our lives. And God, we're trusting in you and your Holy Spirit to do it because you promised you would. And we know, we know that at just the right time, when the time is set, that you will fulfill all promises and that we have an absolute hope in that for you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.